0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the list. There it is.
1: Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the King's record oh, I like to see Fox 5
0: in
2: the open court. Into the lane. Oh, you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Oh. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunes. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we usually do. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing well,
1: Brendan, and we were back to talking about some teams around the league. We got a good one uh some fun conversation to be had here on the new york knicks and we got our buddy jonathan Macri here to discuss it with us i just asked him for his pronunciation of his last name and then i, I had i think i had it at first and then i may have like overthought myself but did i get that you, right Jonathan? You,
0: you nailed it and actually it reminds me of uh my one of a freaking guest of mine um tom uh piccolo and for so and i always ask him like remind me how to pronounce your name and for some reason like two or three times i always said piccolo it's like what the, it's like a mental block like someone tells you to you know do a and you do b but yeah you got the name right
2: well we appreciate you coming on jonathan we'll stick to first names make it easier um,
0: <laughs> sure
2: but we're going over the knicks today and uh lucky obviously- you I know, a team that you cover obviously and maybe not so lucky you having to cover this team. Now there's there's fun to upside in teams with potential. We definitely know in Sacramento, but we're going to focus on the off season and looking ahead a bit as well, but first, what are some of your takeaways from last year? Only 17 wins, but what sort of progression from players did you like to see that you can take moving forward to this season?
0: Um I would say um like it's interesting because uh, you know, the, the larger media kind of makes one thing about how, um, Knicks fans generally take things. And then there's how Knicks fans actually take things. And, um, the Knicks were coming off a season in 2017, 18, where, uh, the biggest frustration with then, uh, coach Jeff Hornacek was that, um, they were bad and he still wasn't playing, um, the younger players. So, Last season, I mean, obviously, they were they were quite bad. Again, they were much worse record wise. Um, But the one good thing was that we got to see uh, a whole lot of uh, almost all of the young players, with the exception of Frank Milikina, who was kind of in and out of uh, Coach Fisdale's doghouse. Um, But for the most part, it was a lot of the kids that um, theoretically could be around for a while so from that perspective, um, it wasn't as bad as it was made out to be. I mean, there was one, you know, bright, shining star in, in Mitchell Robinson, a um, couple of slightly lesser lights um, in Alonzo Trier, Damian Dotson, um, uh, Kevin Knox. Obviously, you know, anybody who who follows the NBA and, and cares to look uh, can see, you know, his advanced numbers and metrics and everything that points to essentially that he was like the worst player in the league. Um, But at the same time, you know, even he won a rookie of the month, kind of finished the year on a high note. And, um, you know, the only reason he played so many minutes and took so many shots was because, again, they were so bad. So I would say all in all, um, it was um, a year that, of course, you would have liked to see some better things in certain spots, maybe more of an offensive um, flow on most nights players kind of executing the offense that Fisdale tried to institute, um, which was actually hard to tell what that was based on how it was run. But um, I would just, I would give it like a grade of uh, not as bad as, as others made it out to be.
1: Yeah. You know, just looking at the standings, looking at the 17 and 65, that's lower than I would have thought before double checking. Uh, and I don't know if that's, I don't know what that is. It's so a pretty historically low number, but they didn't feel much worse than uh, Cleveland or Phoenix or even teams like Chicago really struggled. Uh, but I wonder, is that at all part of uh, – do you think any of it's intentional? Do you think that the Knicks went into this season, maybe not you know day one, but pretty quickly decided, you know, Zion's out there. We might as well try to start the tank job now?
0: Um, I'm in the minority on this, uh, I'll, so I'll preface what I'm about to say with that. I think their intention was to go out and have a similar type of season that the Atlanta Hawks had last year and go out and win, you know, something around 30 games. Um, and I thought, I think that Scott Perry, um, who was hired as the GM uh, going on two years ago now, thought that some of his, you know, the off season. And, and I guess in Emmanuel Moutier's case, uh, mid-season the previous year, some of those acquisitions would pay a little bit more by way of dividends, um, like the Mario Hazonias, Noah Vonleys of the world. Um, I think he thought that generally what they were doing would coalesce a little bit more than it did. Um, you know, and granted, they started off, I think, eight and I want to say like eight and 18, eight and 19, something like that, um, lost some close games over those first couple months. And then... As opposed to things getting better, they the wheels just completely fell off um, and they went the other direction. But I, do I think that they were going into last season with the intention to make in the playoffs? Absolutely not. They were, they were always going to be in on Zion. I just don't think that they intended from the start to be um, as in, <laughs> so to speak,
2: uh, as they ended up being. Right, and... There weren't all too many moves this offseason. Obviously, there was the Barrett signing and a lot of signings as well. Um, but I think a place to start would be the Porzingis trade from last year and how that sure. kind of set up your offseason. Obviously, the exchange was Porzingis, Hardaway, Liam Burke getting rid of Porzingis, who said he wanted out, and cap space. You got... Dennis Smith Jr. in return and two future firsts. Um, Were you happy in general with that haul you got back? You got what seems, or what you would hope to be, the point guard of the future in DSJ, right?
0: Um, I, I'm, uh, still, um, I haven't made up my mind on DSJ. I think like a lot of Knicks fans, um, this year he's probably the 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 bellwether player for this season in a lot of ways. If he plays well, I think it could go. Better than people expect. If he plays poorly, then it could go the opposite. um To me, it's you know, everybody and their mother at the time was saying that um Kevin Durant wanted to come to the Knicks and he wanted to bring someone with him. And and we're we're talking about. Keep in mind, this is late January. And it, to me, when I'm gonna when I assess the trade at the time and even in retrospect, I think. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? And obviously there's been a whole bunch that has come out um, since then, which is that, you know, Durant and Kyrie, you know, they wanted Brooklyn for far much farther back than anyone realized. But even if you listen to, like, Howard Beck's story that came out at the end of the, or after they signed, even he says that they started that discussion about Brooklyn in February. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, They had to make that trade with the knowledge that they had at the moment. And the knowledge that they had at the moment was that the second or first best player in the league wanted to come to them and wanted to come with somebody else. So I think to now look back and say, yeah, the biggest thing that they traded for was cap space, which I I think is probably fair, um, was, you know, could if they didn't prioritize cap space, could they have maybe gotten a slightly more highly pedigreed player? Like, could they have forced a trade to Sacram- to you guys for like a Bagley? I personally, I don't think the Kings do that. Um, I guess I should ask you guys if you think maybe the Kings would have done that. Um, but I, you know, is was that even on the table? I know they asked for Fox, and, and the Kings said no. So all this is to say, um, I think they got the best return given the information they had at the time. Ultimately, how your opinion as a Nick fan falls on the Porzingis trade is whether you think. The organization could have patched that relationship up, or whether you think that the the ship had sailed. And I'm of the opinion that the relationship was too too far gone at that point, and they you know they exercised the most um, leverage they could um, while they could do it. The the only other thing I just want to say really quickly on that is, you know, the thing that bothers me about that trade is the critiques of it are usually like, you know, how can the Knicks get on the right track if they trade away their you know, they're trading away their best player for like a hope and a dream. My counter to that has always been, all right, well, if you're saying the Knicks are on the wrong track because they have this terrible culture or players that want to come, is the is the solution to that to try to like hold a guy against his will who clearly doesn't want to be there. Um that part of it never made any sense to me. Um and uh you know, we'll see what happens with the draft picks. I mean the twenty twenty one pick should probably be pretty decent. But, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, we're going to have to see what Smith does this year. I think it's going to go a long way uh, to determining how good the trade was. And obviously, you know, can Porzingis stay healthy in Dallas, which remains to be seen.
1: To answer the question about Bagley briefly, I don't think that would have been on the table. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think that if it were available, you know, if Bagley were available, that trade probably would have been made probably a little bit more of a desirable Uh, asset there then DSJ and um, an unprotected first and uh, a protected first along with that but hard to say I think that Kings fans certainly would not have been into that but uh, you know I want to talk about this trade in general because as you mentioned basically the Knicks traded for cap space valuing cap space as an asset so I want to ask you what's that like because in (laughs) Sacramento Sacramento cap space is like the opposite of an asset it's really something that you know we've seen time and time again cap space be used to give awful contracts out. Um, but in New York, in the big market there, it seems like, you know, it, it may give hope each year, you know, your team is going headed to 17 and 65 record. Does it feel each year? Like it doesn't matter. We can just make something happen in the summer.
0: Um, it, That's an interesting question because I think, I think there's the perception out there that the Knicks have had um, many swings at free agency when, you know, in reality it was essentially they had 2010 when they famously lost out on LeBron and and Wade and Bosh and they ended up with Stoudemire and, you know, we know how that went. Um, And then they had cap space in the summer that everybody had cap space in 2016 Um, and they ended up with Joakim Noah and um, they traded for Dark Rose and they, they signed Courtney Lee. So, you know, you know, you're asking this question of like the idea of of selling hope. I think the franchise has definitely tried to sell hope in a lot of um, less than authentic ways, should I say, over the years. Um, I don't group this in with all that purely because again, you know, not to not to keep beating on that drum, but like any every reporter with a credential was reporting the same thing. You know, for not only, you know, it wasn't like this was a news report here, a news report there. Like we're going back to last summer. It was like Kevin Durant wants to go to the Knicks. And then it was consistent and it was steady and it was all the way through the trade deadline. So I, I guess yeah, it helped Nick fans get through the rest of the year knowing that that was a possibility. At the same time, I never believed it was more than fifty-fifty, and I was saying actually back as far as January, even before that trade was made, that I thought Brooklyn was a legitimate threat. So to me, I've always what I've wanted for twenty years is just for the organization to prioritize young players and build through the draft. And obviously, you you know the the idea that you could just build through the draft and issue free agency and and trades that's a fantasy um but you do need to draft well and you do need to water those seeds so while that hope was out there and i was all for it i i you know got on that bagwagon i was like hey if they want to come well you know great um I, i don't think that was what was getting most Nick fans through the year. I think what was getting most Nick fans through the year was, you know, watching Mitch, watching Knox, watching, you know, to a lesser extent Trier, you know, Dotson, guys like that. Um and the thought that they were going to get a good player in the draft, which I think that they did. So that's it's kind of where I'm I'm at with
2: that. Right. And that hope is kind of personified in that draft pick that you got in RJ Barrett. And I'm curious, just your feelings on him and how you feel he's going to fit with this roster or what you wanted to see around him. You know, a lot of, uh, different analysts were saying that there was more to be unlocked because there was a lack of spacing at Duke, but it doesn't seem like the spacing is necessarily great for him this year either. And I've also seen people pretty low on RJ Barrett at certain times. Um, what do you expecting from him this year and sort of his development line? Um,
0: I, I expect that it's going to be a struggle just because I think most rookies struggle. And, and there are like even Doncic came in and was, you know, looked like uh, second coming Larry Bird on some nights for, for a while last year. But like most times, no matter how talented the kid is, it takes a while. I mean, you guys know that better than anybody. You know, De'Aaron Fox, I think, is going to be an MVP candidate for many years to come um and he was not that he was bad his rookie year but like he was you know he he played like a rookie guy guys has all the talent in the world but he played like a rookie i think rj barrett's gonna play like a rookie um my most interesting question for this team moving forward not only this year but you know on into the future is where like how do they see using him because i think you could you could literally argue that he should be any one of like four positions um i mean his rebounding in summer league we knew he was a good rebounder but i think he had something like 30 rebounds over the last three summer league games i mean he's built like a you know he's like built like a mack truck so i mean the way the league is going you know if you wanted to send him out there and play the four for you know 10-15 minutes a night like i think that's something that they could experiment with at the same time if you told me rj barrett's long-term fit was as you know, a lead ball handler and he's going to be the one. Um, I, I, again, I don't think he has quite those handles and there's other reasons. Maybe that doesn't work, but like, that's not that crazy. So to me for like what they need to do this year with him, you nailed it. They just have to make sure they're putting enough shooting around him to make it so that when he does have the ball in his hands, and I do think they should put the ball on his hands a lot. Um, it's, it's not cramped, which is why my Again, I'm in the minority on this. I've been beating the drum that he should come off the bench because if you figure Dennis Smith Jr. and Julius Randle are both going to start, um, those guys need the ball a lot. And I think if you want to put the ball on RJ's hands and maybe surround him with an Ellington and like a Bobby Portis as a stretch five and whether it's Knox or Morris coming off the bench, like that's the type of lineup that I think he could be successful in. Um, so I, I'm that's what I'm hoping for. I don't think they're going to do it. Um, just knowing Fisdale who I like, but I just, I don't know. I have my doubts. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at with Barrett.
2: Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever changing digital landscape? Well, on the talk money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakhani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy.
1: Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast and if you want to follow us on Twitter we'd love to interact with you we can take your questions answer them on the podcast as well that is at kings underscore pulse we also got an Instagram kings underscore pulse and we are the official podcast of uh, reddit r slash kings we got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions so we really appreciate it and, and thank you very much for listening <laughs> that's interesting and I'll say that you know you you mentioned Fox in his rookie year that he didn't necessarily play badly I'll say I think that he played badly um, and I think <laughs> that Dennis Smith jr. played better I, I think there was a consensus across the league among analysts that Smith was uh, the better prospect there and you know I don't think that anyone can expect really any player to take the jump that Fox made but it will be interesting to see if Dennis Smith jr. can catch up a little bit make up some of that gap because I think he has fallen behind significantly but I want to talk a little bit about the rookies from last season uh, a little more in depth and you you know you mentioned that Robinson it sounds like you're high on him understandably but uh, going over to Trier who uh, his option was exercised by the Knicks one year three and a half million and then Knox as well who feels kind of like I think it was hurt for a bit I feel like we just don't know enough about Knox yet but What was your impression from that group as a whole and what do you see, uh, their role being on the team this year?
0: So I, um, as far as a grade, you know, on the whole, I mean, they brought in, they brought in three rookies, a a lottery pick, a second round pick and an undrafted free agent. And, um, I think Mitch was, I want to say he was fifth or sixth in rookie of the year voting. And, um, I, I, can't tell you who these people were, but I think, uh, Trier and, and, uh, Knox, Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't rookie to the year balloting. It was, um, on the old rookie teams, uh, Trier and Knox, like both got some votes. Um, they were among, you know, the top like 13 or 14 or something. So if you look at it, like, all right, they had three guys out of, I mean, it's not even the first 60 picks cause Trier was past that. And they're three of like the top 15 guys. That's pretty good. I think on the whole, um, they did really well, especially considering, you know, the big question is with this with this front office, can they finally do the thing the Knicks have not done literally since the 80s, which is develop young players? Um, and I think last season was like overall an encouraging sign just because of Mitchell Robinson, because he was a guy that like, there were people, there were analysts saying if he ends up in the wrong situation, like he's not an, he's not even going to be an NBA player. And he ended up being, you know, by some metrics, I think the most impactful rookie um, on a, you know, a minute per minute basis, obviously Doncic and, and young and, and Jackson were, were ahead of him and, and they should be considered, you know, ahead of him, but uh, he was really good. And uh, as far as, you know, As far as Knox goes, there's a lot of people who are already out on Knox, which I just, given his age, I don't really get. Because if you look at his season a little bit more closely, you had mentioned it. He had an ankle injury that kept him out um, for most of November. Um, And he came back one December rookie of the month. And then he had two really, really terrible months. And then he had March, which was like a you know, normal runs. And then he actually finished the year kind of strong. So given his age and like how much was put on him, that should never in a million years have been put on a guy like that. Um, but was, I thought he handled it. Okay. Um, you know, he needs to get a lot better on defense. He needs to get a lot better with like finishing. He needs to get a lot better with looking to like pass when he drives and remember that that's an option you're allowed to pass in the league. Um, they should remind him of that on a daily basis. (laughs) Um, but I think what they expect for him long-term is to just, I I think they, they want him to be a a guy who could score in a variety of ways. Um, in terms of like being a versatile piece that you, you know, count on as being one of your like core two or three players. Um, I don't know if he's that, I think he's a guy that's gonna be able to put the ball in the hoop though. Um, the question for me is what is he on defense and who can he guard on defense? Cause I don't think we know that yet. And Trier, you know, we'll see. I mean, Trier's a guy who, if you look at his true shooting percentage and his like points per possession on isolations, um, his, uh, propensity to get to the foul line. I know, I don't know if you guys were watching the game. He got to the line 15 times against you guys last year, which was probably his best game. Um, coincidentally, one of Dennis Smith jr's worst. Um, I'm not sure if there's a correlation, but, Um, Yeah, I think he's going to have a role in the league for a long time because he could, you know, he could score and he'd get to the line. Um, But again, similar question to Knox, who can he defend? Um, I think he's he's frisky, though, on that end. But I I, I would count on I think the Knicks are counting on all three guys being there for a while. And I think the Knicks are um, to a certain extent, at least factoring in definitely Mitch and Knox into their like their long term plans.
2: Yeah, understandably. And like you mentioned, I think your position is really dependent on who you can guard. And one other oh. young guy where the only thing maybe he can do in, is guard. And you mentioned. <laughs> can I him, guess who that is. <laughs> right. And you mentioned him being in and out of the doghouse is Neil yeah. Akina, obviously. Frankie um, Smokes. And, you know, you just brought Alfred Payton in, I guess, as, as a backup one. Do you feel like that is close to eliminating Neil Akina minutes? Um.
0: I I don't think um, – I think the team has all but put up a, a billboard outside MSG uh, proclaiming that they don't think Frank is a point guard. Um, and I've been a huge fan of his. I mean <laughs> – you want to get into an argument on Nick's Twitter is just like mention Frank his name in literally any sentence. Just just say his name like Frank Nilekina went to the store today and bought apples and you will get Nick's fans arguing over whether he bought apples adequately and like a pro. And even if, you know, he didn't get the most apples like he picked the best apples or um, he sucks and he should have bought oranges. I don't know. He's he's a lightning rod for the fan base um, because, you know, he's not he was draft as a point guard and he doesn't look sound smell or act like a a point guard in the modern NBA I do think there is still a role for him on this team my my hope is that they figure out a way for him to play a little bit alongside Barrett um, because if if his, if Nielke his shot doesn't progress, I'm, I'm honestly not sure he's ever going to be a rotation player in the NBA, but if the shot is legit and it's looked pretty good in FIBA this summer, um, he could be a really, really, really valuable piece alongside a guy who can, you know, be that primary creator without playing the point guard position. And I think the two of them could work really, really well together. We'll see if he's given the chance. I, I think, the front office, I mean, is, you know, if you believe what you read, they're out on him. They were looking to trade him, apparently, for a second-round draft pick. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I think this is the year, you know, it's, it's like a lot of guys probably on this roster. I think this is a year that's going to go a long way in determining his NBA future. Um, I'm still a believer, and I think if it doesn't work out on the Knicks, um, I'm sad to say it will, will probably work out on, you know, everybody always, like, throws around the Spurs as a perfect Frank spot. You know, we'll see. Um, but I think he's going to have a a moment in the NBA. I'll say that.
1: Yeah. Milikina definitely was being shopped around. I, and I thought I really did think because Kings fans kind of, kind of latched onto that and were, you know, at least as far as just like Twitter fans, there was, there was some interest in him. And when I saw that the Knicks traded, uh, a pick or the Kings traded a pick to the Knicks, uh, number 47, (laughs) Yes. i really did think that i was like all right it's Nilakina time but uh it was actually just for a million dollars and to move down eight spots so uh interesting trade there but uh hey the kings got kyle guy out of it and the knicks got uh iggy Bresdakis. any thoughts on iggy
0: um i was uh, lucky enough to be at summer league for the first uh for four knicks games and um He showed out in a couple of them. He looks good. He looks like he, like the questions about him um, coming out of college that I had seen at least were his ability to uh, pass um, and to a lesser extent uh, his his defense. And he excelled, you know, aside from the fact that he, I think he had like a 30 point game. He really excelled. He made some really nice passes, was in really nice, like was in the right spots on defense. If I my one prediction that I feel pretty strongly about this year is that he will probably start the year out in Westchester, um, maybe not full time in Westchester, but like shuttling back and forth between um, the Knicks G League team and the the big club. And then they'll make a trade to open up more minutes around the trade deadline and he'll come up and he'll he'll finish the year. Of course, I said this exact same thing about Mitchell Robinson uh, last year at this time. And look how that turned out. He was you know uh, hit the ground running um but yeah i like it yeah i think they like him too i think um you know both with him and barrett um it it seemed and to a lesser extent Knox. i'll say that too i think this front office is really starting really has put a premium on guys that they think are you know this is kind of a cliche but um you know built to play in new york um and say what you want about Knox. i mean the guy like you wouldn't know if he just had like the best game or week or month of his career or he you know got pilloried by everybody in their and their you know mom about how badly he's been playing like he has a he seems to have like the right mentality you need to play in New York and withstand the uh, the barbs and such. I think Iggy has that too he's got a nice edge about him, and obviously r j is kind of his own thing too so um yeah,
2: I like that about him too
0: i'm I'm excited to see what he could do.
2: And I think what was your biggest signing is Julius Randle has a bit of an edge to him as well. Um, he does. He played amazingly last year. He really should have been mentioned more in most improved player talks, but 21 points. Rich pointed out to me when we were doing our offseason stuff how amazing his numbers were. Um, jumping from 17, 18, shooting 22% from deep to last year, 34 on a good amount of attempts, almost three attempts, 52% from the field. Does it feel like he's going to be featured because he might be the best player on this roster? Um, he's
0: definitely, you know, the most naturally gifted offensive player. Um, I mean, God, I mean, I don't know. What is his ceiling? Is he one of, could he be one of the, you know, 15 to 20 most... um you know, gifted offensive players in the league. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, if the shot continues to take a step forward and there was like a video circulating on Twitter, um, obviously you take those with the, a shaker of salt, but I think he was he hit 25 straight three-pointers, which sounds crazy, but it he, he did it. I watched the video. Um, man, I, without sounding too crazy, the guy that I want, julius to randall to to julius randall to model himself after um and he's I, i preface this by saying he's not at all this level level of player yet but i i want him to watch a lot of take of blake griffin and specifically blake griffin in the games when he was with the clippers and didn't play with chris paul and really with the pistons because the pistons run their offense through blake and even though blake is like a eh shooter And Andre Drummond is obviously not a shooter at all. Like, those two guys, if you look at their numbers on the pick and roll, if you look at um, lineups that the Pistons had where the two of them were in there, and if you look at lineups the Pistons had where the two of them were in there, surrounded by, um, or with, um, uh, what's his face, Luke Kennard in too, they were like, their points per possession were off the charts. And, you know, Randall has a long way to go to be that level of passer, but i think he has it in him to be like 75 to 80% of the passer that griffin is the big difference with with randall is i don't i think at times we haven't always seen the willingness to be that passer um i know his numbers were awesome with with the pelicans last year but he also you know he he's been known to display tunnel vision at times um and then the other end of the floor his defense like Um, my colleague uh, over uh, posting and toasting, who we do a lot of work with Dallas Amico, he, he did a, a couple of great off season pieces on Randall's defense. And like, you'll see a clip where he'll, he'll man up like Steph Curry and stay with Curry, trying to beat him off the dribble and like not miss a beat. And then you'll see, you know, two or three clips of him, like absolutely falling asleep off ball. And like his man, like skirts along the baseline for like an open layout. And that stuff happens with Randall. And, for where this particular team is right now, where the thinking behind all of these signings is to bring in some accountability and like hold these young guys feet to the fire and make them earn their minutes. That's, that's what this front office believes is like the best path. Like Randall can't do that stuff. Like that stuff has to go. Like if you're going to like, you're going to get beat, you're going to get beat. That's fine. But you got to really bring it every night. And we've heard, all of like the right things from Randall about how the Knicks are going to be tough to play and they're going to get that reputation back like the 90s Knicks had and this, that, and the other thing. Like, that's great. Wonderful to hear that. Now I want him to go out and show it. If he can do that, man, like, and play up to his defensive aptitude, like there's no telling what his ceiling is going to be. And and that, that contract could actually, you know, really, really look like a bargain.
1: Yeah. You know, I like the signing of Randall. Um, but the signings that I didn't really understand so much were uh, all the other the other power forwards you guys signed. So uh, it's been a joke. Everyone talks about it. But uh, the four biggest dollar sign uh, signings, if you if you're just going by salary here, appear to be power forwards. I guess you could say Portis can play the five. And that's fine. Uh, but, you know, listen, Mitchell Robinson needs his minutes at the five. Knox probably going to play about half the time at the four. Maybe you get him at the three. The other half, but now you've got Julius Randle, Bobby Portis signed two years, thirty million with the team option. Uh, Marcus Morris, one fifteen there, and Taj Gibson as well, two years, twenty million. Uh, what is the big man rotation going <laughs> to look like for the Knicks exactly?
0: Um, I mean, it's a good. Qu- it's listen, it's a fair question, and I I get. It looks bad um, the only thing I'll say in, in their defense is that like this team um, going into the offseason they had like literally one one guy that could play the four or the five in, in uh, Mitchell Robinson I I know a lot of people see Knox's long-term position at the four um, I they really hardly played him there last year and I don't think they're ready to play him there yet this year um, so you know really they have Five bigs on the team, and then 10 guys, or 11 if you count Kadim Allen, is on a two way, who are more suited to play the one, two, or the three. So if you look at it from that perspective, it's like a little less absurd. That being said, they have guys that need minutes. Um, And someone's probably going to be on the outside looking in. If I had to take a guess, I would say Taj Gibson will be the guy who maybe won't see the floor on some nights, which, you know, if there's one of their signings that they sign to just be. Um, the, I, I borrow the um, Zach Lowe's term for—I uh, think it's Zach's term—for Jimmy Butler, the the adult in the room. Like they got Taj Gibson to be the adult in the room. Um, he's from he's from the area. Um, he's had a long playing career. He's a little bit older. I think he probably understands that there will be nights this season that he is not going to play and. You know, and you'll see Mitch and Portis probably split time at the five. I think maybe you'll see a few minutes here and there of Randall as a small ball five. Fizz had said in the past he likes the idea of Randall at the five. Um, And then I think you're going to see mostly um, Randall at the four with maybe a little bit of Morris backing him up. Um, Although I think there's some thinking that Morris may start at the three. My bigger concern is actually how they're going to distribute minutes at the, at the wing positions, because that's where they're really, they're really loaded up more than anything else. Um, you know, but ultimately, whether you're talking about the bigs or you're talking about the wings, like to me, this is my biggest question about the next season is theoretically, they got these guys that they are understanding of the fact that there may be nights that they will not play and they still need to be, you know, positive forces in the locker room and and this and the other thing. Now, we saw Scott Perry try that before with you guys with, you know, signing um, George Hill and um, uh, Zach Randolph and, like, how'd that work out? George Hill was, like, kind of starting to mail it in by, like, the, whatever it was, the third week of the season. So, I'm hoping that they did enough homework on these guys to, that they're, you know, okay with, like, yeah, there's a kid that is that needs minutes and you know we want you to push that kid but when the time comes for that kid whether it's dotson or frank or tree or whoever to take his role like you're going to be okay with that you know that remains to be seen um you know well i and that's why i I keep saying fizz has like one of the toughest jobs in all of basketball this year i i have no idea how he's going to do it um but you know well you know we'll see
2: Right. And I don't know if Nikola Mirotic would say that Bobby Portis is the best, uh, locker room presence <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. I don't know if he'd agree with that one either or his face Ooh. might not agree. Yeah. I-, I do really like Morris and Gibson. I think they bring a toughness. They're going to make guys, uh, be accountable. Um, and my question here with these, with these fours, I kind of looked at their minute spread from last year. You know, Randall played 72 of 72% of his minutes at the four. Morris, 97 there. Yeah. Gibson, 89. Knox paid 44 of his minutes at the four. Um, does it feel like having all these bigs is kind of setting him up to be a three? I, I think they, I think they want him to be a three. I think
0: they drafted him to be a three. Um, you know, Fizz has a lot of sound bites. He, he's always good for a sound bite. Um, probably better for sound bites than some other things. Um, one popular one of his is he loves length. Um, and I think, it, you know, you call it a gift, you call it a curse. This front office in Fisdale, one of the things that they're in lockstep on is they value getting guys who are um, athletic and are capable of like holding their own, at their size, at maybe a, a position that is traditionally like manned by a smaller player. Like I think if they had their druthers in like their dreams, um they would have a lineup featuring Barrett at the two, Knox at the three, you know, Randall at the four, Mitch at the five. I think that's like that's their that's their dream scenario. Um I ultimately at the end of the day, is Knox going to have to play some four long term? Yeah, but again, I wouldn't I don't think it's going to be this year. He's just—he's not, you know. If you watch those minutes that he did play the four last year, and they—they they were not—they were not that pretty. Not that any of his minutes were particularly pretty, but they were really not pretty.
2: The Kings Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is one hundred percent free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional and upload it, all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
1: So the Knicks also brought in a trio of guards in Alfred Payton, Wayne Ellington, and Reggie Bullock. What are you seeing as a role for these guys who none of them really cost too much money. So, uh, kind of low impact, uh, low risk, maybe low reward or, or am I wrong there? Um,
0: Ellington's the guy that I think is the most interesting just because he is, um, one of the elite, uh, shooters off movement in the league today. And I think if you, if a team utilizes him correctly, he could really, um, you know, unlock some things on offense. I, I don't know what his role on this team is going to be because if he's playing significant minutes, that means like by default, probably one of the young guys is not. Um, I'd be okay with it because I I think if you, I think his shooting being on the floor will open up things and actually help the development of whatever young players do make it onto the floor. Um, I also think he could be a sneaky, good trade candidate at the deadline. I think they only signed him for 8 million and then um, there's a $8 million team option Maybe there's like a $1 million guarantee, I forget, for, for next year. Um, as far as Bullock, he's hurt. Um, he had a surgery in the off season. He doesn't figure to be ready to see the court for like several months. So I'm not really even counting on him. Um, and then you mentioned um, Alfred Payton. Payton's really the most interesting to me because I think my sneaking suspicion is they got him as Dennis Smith Jr. insurance. That like if the season starts out and Dennis Pitts Jr. Um, displays some of the less than ideal tendencies that he has been known to display throughout um, two years in the league thus far, Peyton's a guy that obviously doesn't have anywhere near that ceiling, um, but he's he's going to put the ball where it needs to go on offense, and he he'll like he'll run your offense like he was really really good. Um, one of the I think he was f- top five or top six in assist ratio last year like he when he's out there he's looking to distribute he shoots if he's like being forced to shoot but um that's my suspicion we know perry likes him um back from when he drafted him when, when he was with the magic I, I i'm i'm hoping that we don't see like i know we're gonna see alfred payton i just don't want to see too much of him uh, i'll say that well, we'll I'll, I'll be kind and I'll, I'll just leave it at that
2: yeah, and injuries might do that for you, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, we like to try and identify guys that we think are going to take a step forward. And with this team, there's a lot of candidates. It feels yeah. like Knox and Smith are guys that you need to see progression from. But who would you guess you see taking that next step in their game?
0: Um, I, I'm going to preface this by saying I still don't th- – like he, he's not going to shoot jump shots. He's not going to be taking threes like a lot of people think. But I think Mitchell Robinson um right now there's the perception around the league. I think that he's like, Oh, you know, the Knicks found um, you know, like a fun piece. He could you know, he's a good rim protecting big man. I think he has the pot like he has it in him to be something really, really, really special. And I don't um I don't just mean with his basketball ability, although I do think his ability to switch and guard on the perimeter in a pinch, if he needs to, we saw that several times last year. Um, plus, obviously, his ability to protect the rim and to and to cover ground quickly. Like the idea in the NBA is not just to have your big man um, be able to hold their own if they're switched onto a guard, but if he's if there's been a switch and he has to cover a shooter on the three point line. And there's a drive happening behind him. He can not only see that as it's happening, but react and get there quick enough to actually make a difference at the rim. And we already saw Mitch Robinson do that as a rookie. So, and then as far as like being a vertical threat on offense, I, I mean, I think that speaks for itself. I just, I, this might sound crazy because the guy couldn't even like speak into a microphone when they drafted him last year. I think he's going to be a leader for this team. I think he, like, right down into like almost the last game of the year. Nobody was like got more mad on the court, like at themselves. Nobody like called out teammates more when they weren't like hitting their assignments than Mitchell Robinson. Um, I think he has it in him to be a, like something, something that they've really lacked, uh, for a long time. And I, I don't want to say like he's going to be the leader of this team. I would not go that far, but I think he's, he's going to be an important figure for this franchise for a long time to come. That's my hope, at least. Um, and I don't think it was, um hyperbole that they apparently were really not willing to talk about his name in any potential Anthony Davis trade, you know, discussions. I think they knew that they were out on Davis, so that take that with a grain of salt. But yeah, I think they're really really super high on Mitch and I think anyone listening um should be be high on him
1: as well. So we also want to try to find guys that you feel like are regression candidates and I think probably the most obvious one is the guy you mentioned is is kind of uh, finding his way towards the bottom of the rotation. And that's probably, you know, I think Taj Gibson is the the easy bet here. But, uh, you know, Marcus Morris, I also worry about going to a team that isn't going to be super competitive. And he's getting a little bit up there in age as well. But maybe you've got someone else to throw out there.
0: Um, Yeah, I, I mean, the fun thing about this team is, is other than Taj um, and, I guess, Bullock, and probably Ellington too because he's a little older. Like everybody else on the roster, there's at least a chance that they could have the best season of their careers this year. So, I mean, I, yeah, I would agree with with Taj. I think the I think the nightmare scenario, and we've kind of touched on him a couple of times, would be and I don't know if it would be necessarily regression, but if is if, if Dennis Smith Jr. um What's the what's the most polite way to put this? If he didn't embrace the role of being the point guard for this team, and instead, you know, looked to prove himself more, you know, where the box score is concerned, um, and look, like Dennis Smith Junior., you know, he could he could fill up a box score like in a, a number of ways, um, but I I think. I'm, I'm let me just say I'm worried that he has the right mentality, you know, um, so I'm going to be really keeping a close eye on him. I sure as hell hope he doesn't regress, but I'm I'm let's just say I'm like trepidatious about him this year.
2: And, you know, another question I have about this team, actually, is you have a lot of these contracts you have non-guarantees on, you know, yeah. next offseason. You could there's a team option on Bobby Portis, non-guarantees on Gibson, Ellington and Payton. Along with Bullock and Robinson. Robinson's not going to happen, obviously. Yeah. Is there a chance that you drop these and then really get competitive in restricted free agency where it feels like you could grab someone with upside? <laughs> like maybe, you know, Bogdanovich, Ingram feels a little repetitive or Jalen Brown, something like that. So
0: it's funny you mentioned Bogdanovich. Um, probably the most, fun, like I'm, I'm a fan of Coach Fizz, but the one, um the one frustration that i have with him is i do think he and to a certain extent i think scott perry too has like a player type and you know we talked about frank before i just you know i think that there are skills that guys bring to the table that they kind of not take for granted but they they don't they don't um they don't value enough to like feel like all right we're going to pay for that skill or like we're going to put that skill at a premium they they're like let's get an athlete in here let's get guys that have um like really high upside and we'll will mold them into being what we want as opposed to taking a guy who has maybe more intangibles and just bringing him in and 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 kind of letting that um you know have its effect Bogdanovich is a guy, like, he's one of my favorite players in the league to watch. I would love nothing more than for the Knicks to make a gigantic play for him. I was watching him this morning. I know Serbia obviously um, had their issues, especially after uh, Jokic got himself tossed. But, like, Bogdanovich had himself some really nice little moments. I watched every time I watched him with the Kings last year. Like, I love watching that dude. And I know full well he is not the Knicks type of player. Um, to answer your question, generally, I I don't see them doing that. Um I think they really are, kind of all in on this. You know, they're trying to like tow three lines at once, and that's why you know, for as much as I battle back against critics who who you know crap on this team, they do have a point because they're trying to do a lot at once. It's like, let's get these guys in there on short short term deals, and we're going to try to do that to foster our youth. And once the young players get better and show ourselves to have like a legitimate core, then. We won't need to overpay the Jalen Brown or the, or the, you know, Brandon Ingram. We're, we'll just like, at some point that superstar player. And obviously, you know, Giannis is is the next one on everybody's list. You know, Kawhi, if he opts out, Paul George, we'll see like in two years from now, all those guys are going to be free agents again. You know, they believe that at some point somebody will walk through that door once they, um, I think they, they call it like get their house together. So to answer your question, no, I don't think they're going to do that. Um, Barring some one of those players taking like an unexpected step forward. And I just I don't see it with Ingram because if you look at his skill set, I'm not sure how that complements in R.J. Barrett. um, Ideally, and then Brown, it's like if you look at like this roster, if they have several guys who they're hoping could be, I think, like. 75 or 80 percent of um you know of Jalen brown um so i don't see it i see them kind of rolling over the cap space for another year maybe taking on a bad contract which is what a lot of people obviously wanted them to do this summer but they you know valued getting these guys in here as being like vet mentors um we'll see i i i don't i don't see it though and i certainly don't think that there's anyone in unrestricted free agency um that they would even think about going after. Um, not that there's many, many names on the board, but yeah.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. People mentioned the Knicks, like, kind of stocking up uh, temporarily and then going to get back out there in 2021. It's not that they can't get out there next year. It's just that, you know, who's the target? Like, why would they? They definitely can. I mean, I think they could even open up as much as two max slots for next offseason if they really wanted to. It's just those players aren't out there. Uh, that are going to make that difference, and, and like you mentioned, the Knicks kind of seem to have those Brandon to Ingram level of guys, like those mid-level players who could pop, but also you don't want eight of those guys, because then they're all competing with each other, and they can't get enough playing time, and, and you know, that's, that's what I want to ask about next, is we want to get to some uh, over-under talk here with the win total, but We'd like to also get the starting lineup and the first few guys off the bench as projected by our guest. And it is kind of a mishmash, 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 all that. It is. It's a weird mishmash. I don't know why I tried to go back to that, but uh, it's a mishmash. Got it. Uh, b- between like vets and younger guys, so who do you think is going to be starting on this team, and uh, and who are the f- the first few guys off the bench?
0: Um, you th- are you asking me who I think will start, or do you ask me who I think I I want to start?
1: <laughs> Let's get both.
0: Um, I think who I want to start um would be Dennis Smith Jr. Um, Damian Dotson, who I know you know a lot of people don't know that well, but he um, is like ten to fifteen percent of a better defensive player away from being like a really good two-way wing. Um, and his shot came a long way uh, last season. Really good secondary um, ball handler. Really nice pick-and-roll ball handler numbers. So Dennis Smith Jr., Damian Dotson. Um, I would want uh, probably Knox, uh, and then Randall and, and Mitch. And I think what you're going to get is probably uh, Dennis Smith Jr., RJ Barrett, um, Marcus Morris, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson. Yeah. Um, and then first guys off the bench. Um, that's the big question, but I think, um, I think what the Knicks are going to try to do is model themselves after like the uh like the clippers and the nets last year both of whom had like if you look at how many guys saw minutes throughout the year um as part of the clippers rotation like and I know they had a lot of trades but I mean it's a very long list um the nets had um they were like a few minutes short of having 12 guys play 1000 minutes for them last year so I think I think the nets are going to try to do that same thing I think Peyton will be um who I think whichever of Knox or Morris does not start will be the first guy off the bench um I think Portis is going to play time or see time every night I think Peyton is going to see time every night um I don't think anyone else is guaranteed any oh and Trier I would be really shocked if Trier didn't see time and then I think like out of that Ellington, Dotson, Nilakina grouping, I think you're probably going to see like two of those guys in the rotation and one out, at least to start the year. No idea who that's going to be. And I think Iggy's going to be out to start the year, like I said earlier. Um, And I think probably Taj Gibson more often than not, maybe will, you know, will not, will not play. So that would, that would probably be um, my prediction at this point.
2: And it's interesting what you said you wanted. And you mentioned this at the beginning when we talked about Barrett was Barrett running the second lineup. And we just saw that in Sacramento. And I will say that was a coaching decision and, uh, our coach is no longer there. So there is that, you know, it doesn't make the, didn't make the front office happy. You like to see the potential out there on the floor, but I totally get what you're saying. You want the shooting around him and Knox is another guy who needs the ball in his hands. You mentioned Randall and DSJ. So you've got me to really come around with that, but I understand I would, you, it would be surprising to not see him out there, uh, to start games at the beginning of the year. And we mentioned, we want to get this over under, um, Vegas has that at about 27 and a half. You're only above the Cavs and the Hornets. If, (laughs) if you were to bet on this, would you go over under? Does that feel about right?
0: Um, God, Uh, I had actually seen it at 26 and a half, but sure, let's do 27 and a half. Um, I, uh, this is, I, I'm so conflicted when I answer (laughs) this question because like on one hand, like, yeah, they should absolutely win at least 28 games. It would be ridiculous with the steps forward that all of these guys theoretically should take and the amount of just sheer talent they, I mean i don't i don't think people who didn't have the utter pleasure of watching this team for 82 games last year could fully comprehend how bad um like forget about guys like mudier and like i I love lance thomas he was a a, a vet of ours for several years that um did not is not going to be back next year it looks like but like he's he just you know he was starting games um should not have been like Enos Cantor. I, I don't know what your guy's opinion on Cantor is, but like he, he was, you know, the stat hunting, like I'm going to care even less about defense than I usually do. Version of Cantor is like, that's, that's not something anybody should ever have to be subjected to. Um, and then guys like his like Tim Hardaway Jr. was terrible last year when he was here. Trey Burke was not good. Like there were so many guys on this team that got significant minutes last year that were so bad. So, like, and if you replace them with what the team has replaced them with, which is, like, competent human beings who can play basketball, like, yeah, they should go over. But at the same time, they won 17 games last year. So you're saying, all right, great. They get a 10-win jump. 10 wins is a lot, you know, when you don't sign, like, a superstar. And the Knicks did not sign a superstar. They didn't sign anything close to a superstar. I'm sorry. Julius Randle's, like, he's he's not there yet. Um, I'm going to go slightly over, but would I bet my own hard-earned um, dollars on it? I I probably would not, if I'm being honest.
1: You know, it's funny. I don't really understand why this line is so low. Uh, that's just my two cents, and I, I guess, you know, you can take some solace in knowing that I'm removed from it and I don't have any stake in the Knicks. I don't care how well they do, but it feels low to me, especially when you consider how much uh, – you know, how many betters there are in New York and how often. Yeah. I, I feel like that should be at 30 and you'll still get a ton of money. You'll still get a ton of money on the over. Uh, and then, you know, they, they can just kind of track Nick's betters like that. But, you know, that tells me that I must just not, I must be missing something because I do see a lot of improvement in this team coming. I am, we didn't give much love to Trier, but I, the shot is wet. And I think that's like a really valuable thing. Like he, I, I yeah, I think he only played one game in summer league, but it was, he drilled like five threes in that. I think he shot about 40% last year. Yeah. Uh,
0: he, he was the Knicks. Um, yeah. I'm too good for this guy um, in summer league.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah.
0: No, he, 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 I was at the, I, that was the game that got uh, ended early because of the earthquake, um, Right. I don't even want to say earthquake cause I was in the arena and it, that was not an earthquake. That was like a, I thought I thought I was momentarily drunk. That's how I felt when that <laughs> thing happened. Uh, no man, Tri- Tri- I, I to- listen. I totally hear you. Um, at the same time, I've rooted for this team and watched this team for uh, going on three decades now. Like I've seen things that I'm like, there's no way it could get that bad. And guess what? It has been worse. So, like, yeah, if guys, like, are selfish and are, like, I'm playing for my next contract, I want to get my numbers, I don't care about what I'm supposed to be doing as far as, like, making life easier or better for this young player or that young player, I just, I want to get my stats when I'm in the, in the game, um, you know, and if, if any, I would love to be able to sit here and be like, oh, no, that's not going to happen under Fisdale, he is, like, the player whisperer, and, like, that's why they got him, like, and I'm a Fisdale guy, but at the same time, that happened last year. I could show you literally dozens of plays by Emmanuel Moutier, who was like a Fisdale like pet favorite, where he just like didn't make like obvious passes that were there to be made. And not to pick on Moutier, but like, you know, he's a guy that had the ball in his hands a lot. Um, and that, that happened. That happened last year. So I don't, I'm not putting it, I'm not putting this team above that happening, my hope is that they will be above it. Um and yes, that they will win <laughs> at least twenty-eight games. Hopefully uh, maybe even a few more than that.
1: Yeah, I just I mean there's so many young guys that shouldn't improve, right? I mean we've been over it, but it feels like half the roster should improve. But I guess again, you know, going back to how smart they just can be with these lines, you know, maybe this is one of those things where yeah, it's a this roster is a 30 win caliber roster, but when you've won 20 games and the season's wrapping up, you're not trying to win those last 10. So maybe, you know, it turns into a little bit of a tank thing, whether or not we want to acknowledge it. And then it, it but you know, that's, that it's meaningful to, to move up three spots in the lottery or, or whatever, especially the way that the, you know, the lottery odds have been flattened out. And, and unfortunately, the Knicks were not on the good side of that this past offseason, but maybe they will be next year. Uh, but let's look forward a little bit further as well. Sure. Uh, final question about the Knicks for you here. Talk to us about three to five years in the future or, or whatever, whatever timeline you want to focus on. When does this team make the playoffs again?
0: Oh goodness. Um, God, I wish I knew the answer to that question. I mean, gun to my head. Um, I, I don't, I definitely don't think they're going to make, I think they're nine to one to make the playoffs this year. And I, I think they're, they're nine to one for a reason um you know what if barrett is the guy that i think is like maybe not the 50th percentile outcome for him but if he's the guy that's like the 65th percentile outcome for him i think they can make the playoffs in not 1920 but 2021 um you know i mean as far as Long term, I mean, this is like a whole other podcast, but it's like, you know, at some point, um, a superstar player is either going to want to be the guy that tries to save the Knicks or they're going to be they're going to look at the franchise's history and their and their owner. um, And they're going to say, like, yeah, I I don't want to rest my career in in those hands. Um, I I think if things on the court and in the locker room um, are good enough. And I, I specifically want to say, like, and if Barrett and Mitch could be the types of players that I really think they could become, then I think, yeah, in two years, some really, really good player is going to be like, all right, I I will I will go to that team and I will be, like, the final piece. Like, Durant and Kyrie and whoever else, like, they didn't want to be, like, the first two pieces. That was very clear this summer. But do I think someone would still come and be, like, the the final piece? Yeah, so then... You know, you get back to talking yourself into like, yeah, this team could maybe be competing for a championship in three years, but I'm I'm not worried about that. I just, it's time to put one foot in front of the other, um, which is what you guys did last season and tell me how good did that feel?
2: Oh, it was great. There's there's a direction <laughs> now, you know, there's the young guys, there's a young core moving forward. And you know, actually the very last question I have for you, Jonathan, do sure. you want Carmelo Anthony on a roster? Oh God, no. Oh, God. Not your <laughs> roster, any roster.
0: Oh, on any roster? Um. Oh man, don't don't want to be mean. Um, no. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I you know I I was like a lot of Knicks fans. I I had a lot of very I had a lot of very strong feelings towards Carmelo. By the time his his time here was done, and I think most of that, um, you know, there's a lot of places that came from from how he acted during the Jeremy Lin thing and like, wasn't even remotely willing to share the spotlight and that kind of torpedoed that season. Um, like he didn't want to cede the spotlight to KP when it was clear that that was the direction the team, you know, wanted to go. Um, he obviously didn't want to be traded for, for a long time. And, and, you know, that was an an issue, you know, but at the same time, um, holding the organization uh, blameless in all of that type of stuff. Like the things that set Carmelo off are like, that's like, that's not fair either because this organization, God knows deserves, you know, it's fair share of blame almost all the time. So, but you know, I'm kind of over it. So yeah, like give him one more shot. I just, it shouldn't end like this for him. I, I just, I honestly don't know where, I don't know where that's going to be. Um, I mean, I, 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 I always figured the Lakers would would open up a spot, but I, that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So, yeah, I mean, what the hell? Give the guy one more run.
1: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. As long as it's not with the Knicks or the Kings, I think we're cool with it. <laughs> but uh, we wanted to thank you so much for coming on, Jonathan. Uh, you can follow Jonathan at JC... Macri NBA and check him out on uh, the uh, Knicks Film School Twitter as well as uh, reading his work at the Step Back. Anything else you want to plug while you're here? Um,
0: not really. Just uh, I uh, you know follow me if you're if you're interested in the Knicks or general general basketball thoughts. I'm always tweeting about something or other, um, on Twitter. And uh, I want to plug that I am excited to watch the Kings on League Pass this year. Um, I enjoyed watching them a few times last year when I could stay up late enough. When, my, when my, um, I have a three-year-old in the house, so um, sleep is, is usually at a premium. But when I got a chance to stay up late and watch West Coast games, the Kings were like one of my top two or three League Pass teams. And uh, I, hope, I hope things keep going forward for you guys because I like a lot of the players on your team. So I will end with that note.
2: Yeah, we're very happy with the offseason moves, and a lot of people said that, you know, that the West Coast uh, time frame, this was the league pass team for them, and objectively, I totally would agree. I mean, they're just entertaining to watch. High-paced teams are tend to be like that, um, but yeah, we appreciate the kind words, Jonathan, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and talk with us, man. Absolutely. It was a pleasure, guys. I appreciate it. And thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. You will hear from us again in the next couple of days.